Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Madigan and Daniel Connolly. We, uh, just like the football team, we took a bi- little bit of a bye week from the podcast, uh, but we're back and we're happy to have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. But we'll start with catching up on the goings with Randy Edsel and the football team. They took on Illinois two weeks ago at the rent and it was not the most brilliant performance in the world. They uh, lost 31, 23 had a lead early in the game, but then lost it after a pretty disastrous second quarter. But uh, there was a lot to take from it. Uh, The Huskies started a brand new quarterback, uh, true freshman Jack Zergiotis, and uh, the Huskies also looked fairly competent, which uh, at times defensively, which which was interesting. Um, Connolly, how do we feel about the football game? I mean, I think I've said enough that I'm not super concerned about wins or losses or final scores this season. It's more about what the on-field product looks like. And in the first quarter – Illinois looked like UConn normally does, and UConn looked like teams that are normally playing UConn. I mean, they were playing solid football. They punched Illinois right in the mouth with the pick six from Tyler Coyle. The offense was moving the ball. The defense was playing well. And, yeah, like you said, it kind of fell apart in the second quarter, and UConn couldn't really get back into it. But it was a pretty big spread, if I remember right. It was, like – over 20 points. It might have been. It was like 17, and then uh, I think it was moving up because a lot of people were taking Illinois. Yeah, I think I saw it at like 21 and a half at one point, like right before kickoff. Yeah, and I mean, it was an eight-point game, and at no point, and it's not like that was an eight-point game that UConn scored a touchdown with five seconds left in garbage time. I mean, UConn was close in the entire game, Mm-hmm. against a Big Ten school, and it doesn't matter that it's the worst non-Rutgers Big Ten school. I mean, they're still going to be a step above UConn um, in that respect. So the fact that they were competitive, I think, is a really good sign. Obviously, there's still things to work out, but you're not going to turn it around in one day. And I think after the Wagner game, we were cautiously optimistic that there was progress. From last season, I don't think you could say after this Illinois game that there's things definitely aren't heading in the right direction. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, the other thing, obviously, that we have to talk about, they, they put out a brand-new quarterback. We saw the debut of Mike Beaudry, and then uh, we really tried to break it down and see what we had there, and uh, it turned out his time as the starter would be short uh, because Edsel decided to throw a true freshman from Montreal in there not that being Montreal from Montreal is bad. It's a lovely city. You should all go. Um, but uh, true freshman quarterback out there in a challenging situation. And he played pretty well. He showed a lot. He had a strong arm. He had mobility around the pocket. Obviously, he had some things that need to be cleaned up. But um, got to be really excited about what we saw from a true freshman playing at quarterback. Yeah, at least my initial reaction when I saw that it was going to be a true freshman in Zergiatis instead of uh, Krajewski starting was just like, 
Just thinking of the history UConn has of starting true freshmen at quarterback. Recently, it really hasn't been too hot. Donovan Williams, obviously, that one didn't work out. And uh, UConn pretty much ruined Tim Boyle's collegiate career by, or at least UConn career, by throwing him into the fire as a true freshman in 2013. So I was pretty nervous, and I don't know how much optimism I had, but yeah, he looked really good. I can't even think of the last time UConn had a quarterback that can throw the ball the way Zergiadis can. He's got a strong arm, like you said, but he can also fit it in some tight windows. I mean, there are some throws that he made that if it wasn't right between the receiver's numbers, there's a good chance it was getting picked. And I mean, for a true freshman, I don't think there would have been much more that you could have asked from his first performance. He didn't look rattled at all. He made some bad throws. I mean, he had an interception in the first half, at the end of the first half, that I was pretty far off target and into triple coverage to begin with. And then threw an interception to end the game that, it, I don't know, maybe he just didn't see the defender, but it was straight at the defender. But again, for a true freshman quarterback, it's really good. And I think after we saw Beaudry against Wagner, what we talked about was he's fine. He's going to be able to handle it. He, feels like Beaudry was the type where he's not going to win you a game. He's not going to lose you a game. I think with Sergiatis, he can definitely lose you a game if he maybe doesn't make the right throws like he did against Illinois. But at the same time, I think he's going to be able to win UConn some games with his arm if the run game isn't going like it was like it wasn't against Illinois. I think they only averaged like 1.4 yards per carry. He's going to be able to carry the offense with his arm. And there's going to be mistakes here and there, but as long as he can keep progressing and getting smarter in the pocket, making better decisions on the throws, getting better chemistry with those receivers, I think it could turn into a pretty exciting year as it goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we clearly saw limitations from Beaudry in week one, especially considering that it was Wagner. I mean, uh, kind of like you said, it was there was cautious optimism around the kind of quarterback Beaudry would be. He seemed like someone that a Randy Edsel coach team would really like, you know, someone who maybe isn't going to make a lot of mistakes um, and can just kind of manage the offense. Whereas, yeah, Zergiatis clearly has a, a, a playmaking ability that, uh, that, that Beaudry definitely doesn't have. And I think the other thing was that the team seemed to get behind the decision. We saw Jay Rose. We saw some other guys, you know, upperclassmen on the team uh, express their confidence in him, um, express that he earned it. Uh, and so it must have been something where he had been the guy looking a lot better uh, on the practice field even for quite some time. And, I mean, he got some first-team reps in, in, like, fall camp and stuff. but. Obviously, you don't read too much into that. And then, like you said, Connolly, maybe you think, just given what we know about the UConn roster, Steve Krajewski, someone who's a former three-star recruit uh, who came in pretty highly touted, you maybe imagine that, that it was him. So I was, I was horrified when, the, when we found out Zergiatis was starting. I thought, um, you know, I was thinking, I was preparing for the, the absolute worst and uh, definitely did not do that. I think the other the other good thing is just looking somewhat competent. I mean, the defense definitely showed some of its old 
um, forgetting how to tackle at allness that it has. Uh, and, but at the same time, to be in that, to be in the fourth quarter of that game, uh, in a game where you are a three score underdog, uh, is a really promising performance for UConn and certainly has us maybe rethinking, um, you know, that, that our, whatever, whatever number we had guessed before the season, um, maybe we are thinking that there might be like one or two more wins and maybe one or two more, uh, that UConn can at least be competitive in. Have you guys kind of changed your, your optimism for some uh, potential for a few more wins down the road? I'm, I'm still pretty much right on my three wins that I said at the beginning of the year. I mean, they really should smoke UMass. UMass looks really, really bad. So even though that one's away, that should be a win. And then from what we've seen, UConn's going to be capable of competing with some of these lower-tier teams, the ECUs of the world. Uh, even USF doesn't look super hot right now. So I think if they're going to be in more games than they were last year, then they're, they're bound to get another win somewhere. I, I don't think that UMass is going to be the only last win on the season, especially with Zergiatis at quarterback. Yeah. I'm not sure if I really feel that Zergiatis is going to, you know, take this team to two or three more wins, but I think kind of Dan along the lines of what you said, I'm more confident that they're going to get to three, maybe even four wins this year. Uh, to me, the more exciting thing is not that he's a starter, that Sergiatis is a starter this year, but that he's here for three more years. Uh, and I think that's kind of an exciting core with him, Cam Ross, Matt Drayton, uh, some other guys on, on offense as well. Uh, that's pretty cool that Etzel has somebody that's pretty confident that he can build around for three years. Um, I can't really think of a quarterback that's played at UConn off the top of my head that, you know, Etzel or any UConn coach has had the opportunity to build around for that long. So, that should be pretty interesting. Um, I, I think Beaudry was a fine quarterback, but it, it seems like Zergiatis is, is definitely a little bit better and has a bigger arm. So, um, you know, it's nice to have a competent backup too, and it, it could inspire Zergiatis to keep kind of working hard and maintaining his QB1 status. So I think it should be interesting. I think this next game against Indiana will be uh, a big test for him, especially on the road. But um, makes sense to go with him over someone like Krajewski, even though he was highly touted. I think Etzel kind of knew what he was getting with him. And uh, with this season, you know, there's no bowl eligibility hopes, really. Uh, might as well roll the dice with a true freshman and, and see what happens. No, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's a level of talent and, and um, excitement at the position as a freshman that we haven't seen. I think David Pindell last year, that was – you know, that was definitely the most talented person we've seen under center for UConn in, in quite some time. And, uh, but, but obviously only it got to have him for a year. So uh, it, it also just, I think you make a really great point, Madigan, that it's, it gives us um, some of that real core belief that maybe 2020, 2021 could be really interesting seasons for the UConn football team, which um, we had a lot of reasons to doubt uh at the start of the season or, or let's say the end of last, at least for sure. Um, right. And that's the thing is that we've, we've always kind of said, you know, through on the blog here and, and other sites have said this too, that, you know, 2020, 2021, that that's the year that UConn's going to start turning it around. And 
you know, that may or may not be the case, right? But it was always kind of, you know, Beaudry was at, at least he had at most one more year of eligibility after this year. The quarterback situation was never really sorted out. So it's a lot easier to be confident about the next few seasons, knowing that there is a potential that there's a quarterback that truly doesn't suck and is going to be here for a long time. Yeah, and I think part of that is Edsel said after the game something along the lines of, like, I know what I'm looking for on the field, but uh, go back and look at Randy Edsel's track record with quarterbacks. He's not super strong there, and this is the second year in his three years during his second term that the starting quarterback isn't playing the second game of the season. And I know Beaudry is a little different because he was injured, but still, why is the guy who all camp played the best, or at least to the coaches played the best to earn the starting job, suddenly not the best player after the immediate first game of the year. I think that's still a little concerning, even though it ended up with Zergiatis being a quarterback. But like you said, having him only be a freshman does make me feel a little bit better that like next year with potentially a better team, we're not going to have to hit the reset button and then try and find another quarterback when Edsel's had so much trouble finding them in the past. I like how we're calling it Randy's second term. That's that's fun. It's like he's a like he's a president. That's a good point though. Is that decision to start uh, Pindell over Sheriff's his first year? Um, I think that kind of gets swept under the rug. That was a, a crazy decision. I mean, it worked out. Pindell was great last year, but he was not ready to play Division One football uh, when Edsel started him, and Sheriff's very clearly was, and they almost lost that Holy Cross game because of it. Um, so yeah, that's a good. Real, that's a thing to point out. It's one thing to kind of take note of, but uh, it seems like the skill is there with Zergiatis, at least the raw skill. And you know, we'll see how it works out from there. But definitely something to keep in the back of your mind going forward. And also, Randy Edsel was a quarterback in college. People forget. At least we can feel confident as we've kind of confirmed here. The future's bright, and there's some depth too. You know, you never know what happens with dudes and. Maybe Zergiatis lights it on fire and leaves in his junior year and we need someone else or he gets hurt. Yeah, so the Huskies were able to cover, which, which I think we, when we were previewing it on the last podcast, I said I would be thrilled if UConn covered against Illinois. Just given, given everything that we knew and saw, and Illinois had just thumped its week one opponent. Um, I think it was Akron uh, or Toledo. But, uh, you know, Illinois had just dominated its, its – week one opponent and UConn squeaked past, even though kind of, you know, squeaked past Wagner. Uh, so they covered, they go into this Indiana game, 28 point underdogs. Uh, it is on the road in Bloomington, but uh, Madigan, how do we feel about this uh, third game matchup with Indiana? Uh, I think it depends on what the status is of Indiana's quarterback. Uh, I know uh, Phoenix, he seems like he's a game-time decision. So I think if he plays, uh, which it seems like he probably won't based on our interview with Crimson Quarry on the blog, um, I think if if he's not able to play, I think this game's pretty close and UConn has a chance to cover. But uh, if he's eligible to play and, and healthy. Uh, I think this is something where Indiana just rolls past UConn and covers. Uh, as good as their Giannis looked, uh, I don't really trust him on the road, at least at this time. Yeah, I 
think the road factor uh, is one of the bigger parts, considering UConn's won like four road games since, uh, I believe, 2013. So they haven't really been great on the road. But in terms of a team, I don't know. Indiana doesn't strike me as like significantly better than Illinois was, especially if they don't have their starting quarterback. They're just like another kind of middling power five team that, I don't know, I think it could be a very similar game to Illinois in that UConn maybe doesn't have a great chance at winning, but they're at least going to hang around for most of it and keep it competitive. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to win it, but. I, I think, uh, so just walking through Indiana's season so far, they, they opened with a 34, 24 win over ball state. Then they crushed uh, Eastern Illinois, 52, nothing. That's an FCS team. Then they got, destroyed by an Ohio State team that uh, obviously, you know, potentially one, probably one of the top five teams in the country. I guess they're ranked six right now, but 51-10 lost to Ohio State. So um, not, a, not a lot in terms of any movement on, on what we think about Indiana's stock so far. They took care of business against who they should have and then lost to a really good Ohio State team. Um, UConn will definitely have um, – I think UConn will be able to keep it close. The other thing is, you know, this is their starting quarterback. He's a big difference maker no matter what. And they care a lot less about this UConn game than their game at Michigan State next week, than their game at Maryland in two weeks. Um, so they, they want to make sure he's healthy for that game, which is why I think there's a really good chance he sits. I like UConn's chances to cover for the second week in a row, which would be uh, which would be pretty impressive. Indiana does not have a very good defense, um, and I think uh, if UConn can pull off the uh, the old Randy Edsel formula and keep it close, maybe get a defensive or special teams you know big play that that swings things in in their favor. We're at the point now where we we could maybe expect a somewhat solid performance from this UConn team. So. Uh, I expect to see that against against Indiana. I have a great segue, by the way, so I'm just going to say it if we're ready to get back into it for right to the Maryland news. Um, yeah, did anyone have anything else on Indiana? No. This is kind of – it's a little bit of both. So, yeah, go ahead. So, I was getting ready for our preview on the UConnBlog.com, how to watch. Uh I was looking through trying to find out the last time UConn won a non-conference road game. And it was 2,563 days, 2012 over a Maryland squad led by current UConn head coach, Randy Etzel. Wow. Full circle. But, but going on the road makes no difference. According to Randy Etzel, it's all the same. Yeah. What was that that he said? To be fair, I think he was trying more to say it to his team in the sense of like going on the road shouldn't be any different because it's just football. But the way it came out was there's no difference to being on the road and then at home, except there's more fans in the stands on the road. That's very Hoosiers of Randy. <laughs> Field's the same no matter where it is. It's no different. I think the biggest thing is that it's no different, he said. 
The stadium might look different. There might be more people in the stands, but ultimately when you walk between the lines, all that focus shouldn't matter. It's just a matter of, hey, I'm lining up and playing ball. I just have to go out and execute and do my job. Maybe Randy's been watching a lot of Friday Night Lights and decided to pull some motivation from that. Whatever works. I can't tell if that's like like the fact that he's you know just like sometimes sometimes kind of like a fist in the clouds guy about stuff, uh, old man yelling at clouds guy at stuff, or uh, he just feels like he can say whatever he wants. Kind of hard to tell. He is pretty tough to get a read on because like sometimes he'll go on like a legitimate rant, and then sometimes you're not sure if he's even like serious in what he's saying. Like the time he called the RPO, he agreed that with the Northwestern football coach, uh, Fitzgerald, that uh, the RPO is communism. He agreed with that. <laughs> that was a good one. But he also believes in paying the players. So, you know, Randy Edsel is a complex and, and nuanced mind, and uh, we should give him a lot of respect for, for the way he's led the UConn program thus far. I, I have to say I doubted him a lot more six months ago than I do today. So, but yeah, speaking of Maryland, the Huskies did lock down a home and home series with the Terrapins. Uh, so two of Randy Edsel's former teams will be meeting. Uh, the first game is going to take place August 31st in 2024. So mark your calendars for about five years from now, everyone. Uh, that'll be in college park. And then September 12th, 2026 at the Um I think this is perfect. This is an awesome series for UConn to have. Uh, it makes geographic sense. It's uh, good for recruiting and uh, just proof that UConn will be able to schedule quality teams with home and home games uh, at the uh, – power five level so um i i'm thrilled about this we know you have a little bit of the dc bias there but no i agree i'm pretty excited about it because i think it's just the perfect the perfect example of why conference independence for football is going to be good because i don't care how you slice it playing maryland is even if randy edsel is long gone by that point Playing Maryland, it's still going to be infinitely more exciting than playing Tulsa or playing ECU or playing Houston or any pretty much any school in the, the American. It's a more interesting game, and the travel costs are lower. And if Edsel's still here, it then st- adds a little more juice to the game. So, yeah, I mean, if they're going to be – if the schedule is going to be full of teams like Maryland and NC State and Duke, I mean – that's 10 times better than the American. Yeah, I, I have my doubts that Edsel's here for the 2026 game. Um, and, you know, that's not really a hot take. It's just a, a fact, I think. But uh, it's a great matchup. It's a, a big-time school, a, a decent football school close by in the Northeast. Really, really short flight. Very accessible by train or car or anything for people to travel both ways. So. Should be exciting. I'm excited to see what else UConn has in the pipeline. I know the UMass AD said that there's a robust deal in the works. So um, excited to see what that means. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone on this, but I'm excited for any schedule that 
involves a lot of UMass because I think I've said since UMass moved up to the FBS level that that should be a game that happens every year. No one's closer. There's an amount of history between the two schools. They're both kind of in a similar boat. So, yeah. Yeah. So, look, UConn has, uh, just in terms of teams that they have home and homes with already, Boston College, NC State, Duke, Purdue, you know, that is every single one of those is better than any of the AAC games. The tough part is going to be with the independent schedule getting those later in the season games, which we still don't have and definitely still concerned about filling out 2020. Uh, obviously, how, do, how we figure that out is still remains to be seen and we might see something weird there. Um, but yeah, there's, there, I mean, that, that first game, the 2024 meeting, that's five years from now. Uh, Mike Loxley just took over at Maryland, but, you know, what's the percentage of coaches who have a tenure longer than five years? It's not, not super high. And then Edsel, Edsel could be gone by then, by then too. You never know. Um, so I think there's a decent chance that neither of their team's current co- – you know, they just scheduled these things so far in advance. But there's a decent possibility, just on that note, that neither of those coaches are – um, with the current program, with the program currently, uh, when that first meeting comes. Speaking of coaches, uh, there's a former UConn football coach that we thought it would be fun to just do some semi-regular updates on, and that would be Bob Diaco. They are achievement-oriented, not that you need to be able to launch a missile into outer space. I noodled the idea how physically weak and fat the players were. I'm just recapping in my mind what I lived in that moment. As we all know, uh, Bob Diaco made great waves with his words while at UConn. And unfortunately, things didn't work out. Uh, He ended up taking his talents to Oklahoma uh, and then Nebraska as their defensive coordinator because... Failing up is a thing when you are uh, a man of Bob Diaco's incredible charm and wit and, and ability for persuasion. Since then, it hasn't been great. He ended up getting uh, fired from that job, and he's worked a couple places in between. Madigan, where is Bob Diaco at right now? So, Oman, <clears throat> it's an honor to, to do this Bob Diaco check-in segment here. Bob Diaco is the defensive coordinator for the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. Um, so far, they're off to a decent start, two and one on the year. But the defense under Diaco has been perhaps unsurprising to us up and down. So they played Texas in the first game of the season. They gave up 450 yards of offense in a loss. Um, nothing out of the ordinary there. Texas is a you know perennial top 25, top 30 team, and they're a top. 10 team this year when they took on the Bulldogs. Uh, Then they squeaked by Grambling and got a win, but gave up 455 yards of offense to an FCS team, including 200 plus yards on the ground and 240 yards in the air. Uh, And then they got another win last week against Bowling Green. Seems like Diaco's kind of dialed it in a little bit. They only gave up 290 yards. Um, So seems like he has them trending more or less in the right direction, but, uh, there's still plenty of football left to be played. And believe it or not, uh, the Louisiana Tech Athletic Department 
you know, SIDs aren't letting Diaco talk to the media. Not a lot of quotes out there for whatever reason. Uh, but I did find an article from the beginning of the season. And I'd just like to read this quote because I think it's just a, a good way to know that Bob's doing just fine down in Louisiana. So, Dan, I don't know if we have any music or anything we can maybe set this to for the pod. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat here. So a quote from the article goes, Keep the points down. It's not simple, but that's it. Try to end the game. Have one more point than the opponent. It's how the plays are played. It's not plays. We don't have a defense. Nobody has a run fit and pass coverage there aboard. It's not a thing. Wow. It's great stuff. Yeah, that's emotional. That sounds extremely familiar, and you can almost hear that crazed very enthusiastic, you know, voice that is easy to fall for. We all fell for it. We can't, yep. we cannot deny that we all fell. We swooned over Bob Diaco. We, we, come on, that, that bowl season was magical. He commented on the airport, said it was nice. <laughs> Did the baby get upset that it didn't lift the coffee table? Probably not. Let's broadcast our games on Nickelodeon. Who owns that? Viacom? And if I'm too animated right now, I apologize. Very crushing, crushing um, game. The conflict. Sad. You know, sad that this year will be our last uh, year with the conflict, by the way. So a lot to mourn unless, unless they are able to keep that schedule um, as, as an out-of-conference game for UCF, which... Maybe worth it. Maybe worth keeping a, a really storied rivalry. Maybe for, yeah, for rival, uh, rivalry week, they could get that together for a long-term deal. Yeah, not a bad idea. Maybe Thanksgiving week, do the conflict. They definitely don't play a big rival just down a highway from them uh, every, every year at that time. They could probably replace a real rival like UConn, who has beaten them a couple of times as members of the AAC for that big rivalry week. I agree. I agree with you on that. All right. This is a good time for an ad. All right. So moving on from football uh, and going to the ice bus, uh, really big and exciting news on the recruiting front. Uh, Connolly, tell us what it is. So UConn got a commitment from Nick Capone. He is in the class of 2020 and he is one of the top players, if not the top player in Connecticut in that class. And he is the first high-end elite recruit from Connecticut to commit to UConn. UConn's trying to get themselves to be a national championship contender, uh, perennial hockey's contender. And to do that, to get the players necessary for that, they've needed to go to Europe to get the high-end players there that don't grow up in the hockey's culture where BC, BU, Providence are these big powers. It's very, very possible that he could become the most important recruit in program history because a guy like Tage Thompson, um, he, he was technically from Connecticut, but he only really moved to Connecticut like a year or two before he got to college. He grew up in other parts of the country. Capone is totally born and bred from Connecticut. He's from East Haven. He played for East Haven High School as a freshman before going to prep school. So the fact that UConn is getting an elite player from Connecticut to come with really, 
with literally no success in the postseason so far, no on-campus rink. I mean, it just speaks volumes to what Mike Cavanaugh is doing with the ice bus. No, that's awesome. I mean, a big in-state recruit, you love to see it. What else is there to say? Uh, and uh, Kavanaugh keeps, keeps seems like every year he does a better job recruiting, which is, which is positive. And then hopefully that continues once, once they do have the new rink. So a couple of quick uh, women's basketball headlines that we want to touch on for this podcast. We'll discuss them in more detail in a future pod, but I uh, did have a few interesting headlines. Uh, the Huskies added a six foot five center uh, for the class of 2020, Pyeth Gabriel. So rounding out uh, what is a really nice recruiting class for the Huskies. They uh, also released their 2019 and 2020 schedule. Uh, I, we had already known the non-conference, but uh, good to get the full uh, XL Gamble breakdown and also just see the dates for, for those conference games. Obviously, expect the Huskies to continue to stay undefeated in AAC conference play and then bounce. That'll be exciting. Um, and then lastly, uh, Team USA named its FIBA AmeriCup roster. And we had uh, five Huskies total, uh, including... Olivia Nelson Adota, who was the only college player on that roster. Uh, the other former Huskies who will be playing there are uh, Nafisa Collier, Tina Charles, uh, Katie Lou Samuelson, and Steph Dolson. Uh, Collier also recently named WNBA Rookie of the Year. So uh, lots of swag and awesomeness going on with Huskies, uh, former Huskies, uh, also the WNBA playoffs going on. Um, but the FIBA America Cup will start this Sunday, September 22nd, with Team USA at, against Paraguay. Uh, like I said, we'll go into all of that in a little bit more detail in a future podcast, but uh, you can read all about it at the UConn blog. UConn baseball, we also got their schedule out, and a few former Huskies are making waves, more waves, in Major League Baseball. Madigan, you have the update for us? Yeah, so Anthony Kay made his third major league appearance uh, today, Thursday night, and picked up his first major league win in the process in the Blue Jays' 8-4 win over the Orioles. Uh, Kay came in as the after the opener for the Blue Jays, so he didn't start, uh, but pitched four innings, gave up two earned runs, struck out three, and only walked one. So pretty good appearance. Uh, might be his last start of the year. He might get one more in, but they may shut him down. Um, but overall, he you know had a pretty impressive showing at the majors, uh, except for one tough start against the Yankees, one of the best teams in baseball. So, um, you know, he definitely has an outside chance of making the roster for for next year. Um, if not, he definitely will probably get called up at some point as a spot starter. Um, so it should be pretty interesting to see how his career progresses. But it seems like it's off to a pretty good start. In other base UConn baseball news, George Springer smashed through the all-time UConn records for most home runs by a UConn player in the MLB and most home runs by a UConn player in a single season. So right now Springer's having one of his best seasons yet. He's hitting 291 with 35 homers, 90 RBI and five stolen bases. Uh, the 35 home runs 
breaks Walt Dropo's record for of 34 during his historic rookie of the year season with the Red Sox uh, a few decades back. So Dropo also held the record for uh, career home runs with 152, I believe. Uh, and Springer got past that with his 153rd home run uh, a few weeks back. So pretty incredible achievement. We know that Springer has been one of the best players in baseball and certainly one of the best players to come out of UConn in recent memory. So uh, pretty cool to see him make the mark on some some history books, even though they're you know just UConn specific. But he's an important part of a really talented Astros team that has a legitimate chance of winning a World Series this year. That is some good stuff. Yeah, I, I love to see Springer having a, a really great season, and um, looks like he's on pace to just put up some really great numbers across his career if he can keep this up on a on what's a pretty good Astros team. So that's exciting. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty good year overall. I mean, for for UConn players, Matt Barnes had kind of an up and down season, but has been pretty pretty decent. Uh, Nick Ahmed had his best season ever. He had 18 home runs. He hit 257. Played his you know usual lockdown defense at shortstop. So uh, things are definitely continue to trend up for for UConn players in the majors, and there's plenty more in the minors. So there there should be a steady stream of of UConn alums in the MLB for years to come. Well, one more thing we have to talk about, and uh, it does not please me to have to talk about uh, this this thing that happened, but um, there was a bit of a uh, a snafu uh, from the athletic marketing department. Is that the appropriate location to to describe that? The athletic de- athletic department's marketing. Yeah, athletic marketing and graphics, I think those are kind of two separate things. Sure. Uh, so maybe a little bit of uh, miscommunication between the two or something, but um, UConn Athletics launched an initiative called The Pack. Uh, it was meant to be a uh, something for the most active and ardent uh, fans? Uh, From what I understand it, it's more like organization for the student section. So like coordinating, like when there's going to be a whiteout or like just trying to sync up like chants or I think it's more of a focus on like getting students to games and making the atmosphere good at games and those sort of things rather than like getting them tickets and a rewards program. So they try and run this program, and they release this uh, logo for the the pack, which is the again their kind of way to organize the uh, the students, the student section. Um, and then it turns out, and it's you know seem, uh, on the surface seems like a perfectly fine initiative. I think that's a good idea. Um, you know that way you keep the chance consistent year over year and stuff like that, and you can organize on how to best troll opponents. And I think with the return of the big East that, you know, that's some animus we, we want to have back. So, you know, I think it sounds like a good idea uh, on the surface, but in the execution, uh, something went a little off. The logo uh, was a direct copy of a NC state Wolfpack alternate logo, like complete copy paste, which I mean, come on, that, like, you know, how many, serious question, how many people do you think 
approved this thing that went out that had a completely plagiarized design that wasn't even Huskies, by the way. When I first saw it, I, I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, all right, well, they took the design of the NC State logo because it, it is cool, and they shouldn't have done that. And then I looked closer, and it's literally a copy and paste. Yeah, it, it, it's just a, a bad look, and you know, it's not a big deal. I know uh, the athletic department apologized to NC State, and you know, they're not going to make millions of dollars off that logo anyways, but just embarrassing more than anything. And, you know, I, they're trying to do the right thing, trying to get the students more involved uh, and, and trying to get them more engaged at games. But, you know, just kind of one of those things where it, it always feels like UConn is taking two steps forward, one step back with this kind of stuff. Uh, and this is no different. So hopefully this next iteration, they can figure it out. Um, it was cool to see them come up with something that originally seemed to be pretty creative. Um, but turns out it's just ripping off another logo. But uh, I hope it's not just some boring text logo this next time around and actually has something that, you know, students and, and other fans can get excited about. Because um, I, I think good design is really important in college, especially in college athletics. That's a really very profound point. But design is important and uh, should respect that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, like you said, it ultimately nobody was harmed as a result of this mistake. It doesn't impact anything. There's no major loss to UConn, but yeah, the, the, to the extent that it just makes the school and its athletic department look silly in terms of like not being able to catch that before it goes out to the public. And then as we saw in that Hartford current article, I don't, I mean, I don't want to, it kind of seemed like they were, pretty content to blame it on the fact that a student so reading from the Hartford Current the logo was created by a UConn undergrad according to a athletic department spokesman you know for someone for someone who is a you know that's tough not to take responsibility for that and be like oh a student did it silly students we know how we can't count on them like I think that's a really disingenuous uh, stance to have and I think you know I honestly feel for the spokesperson too, who probably uh, didn't didn't want to have to say that either. But um, that doubles down on the bad look, right? You have this this thing, and now you, on top of that, kind of make up this whack ass reasoning as if that's supposed to make it someone feel better about it. So I thought that was kind of rough the way they, even though no student was named, obviously, but. I think that still is a is a rough kind of cop out. Yeah, there there's just no need for that. I I mean, there there's so many other ways that they could have gotten around that and kind of just stopped the bad PR in its tracks almost and uh blaming it on a student and making it seem like that the student was fully accountable for it from start to finish, which I would be almost certain more than willing to say that that's not the case. Uh was just a bummer to see, uh, kind of frustrating, but you know, it's going to blow over. It's already blown over already by the time this podcast goes out. But, um, it, it's just one of those things where it's just like, what the heck? Like it, this shouldn't be yeah. that hard. Just do it right the first time and, and be done with it. And they seem to screwed up twice. So, uh, <laughs> definitely a little frustrating, but hopefully, you know, they'll learn from their mistakes and things will just be better going forward. 
for sure. Um, so, well, one, one more quick thing. So the, the football game on Saturday, they're at Indiana, 12 p.m. Um, is it, it's going to be kind of hard for some people to watch, right? Big Ten Network. It uh, might be on, like, Big Ten Overflow or something like that. What's the, what's the deal with watching this game the week, this weekend? Yeah, so I'm looking right now. So if you have, like, a streaming service like Hulu or Fubo or PlayStation View, YouTube TV, you should be able to pull it up through that, through the interface on your TV uh, or whatever you use to view that service. Um, if you have a more traditional provider like Cox or Frontier uh, or even DirecTV or Dish, uh, you may have to download an app like the Big Ten Network app and then uh, use like a Chromecast or some other device to, you know, send it to your TV. Um, but brutal. Yeah, kind of brutal. Um, there's a reason why the athletic department didn't want to have all their games on ESPN plus because as great as it is and streaming the future, it's still inconvenient, at least somewhat inconvenient at this time. Right. Um, it's just, it's just still clunky. There's no way around it. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening.